Thanks, Dom. Uh, as Dom said, for those who don't know me, my name's Ryan. Uh, I've been married to Susie now for about six years, uh, and we've been part of KCC for the last year and a bit. But enough about me. I want you to cast your mind back to 19th of May, 2018. Do you remember where you were? Now, let's be honest, some of us struggled to remember where we were yesterday, let alone an event that happened in 2018, which, to be honest, seems like a different life. Um, but for those who are a huge fan of the royal family, you will know that that was the day that Prince Harry married Meghan Markle. Now, that whole event had a huge build-up. You had the questions that were going around and the speculations about, is that a ring on Meghan's finger? Uh, at the Invictus Games. And then when it was announced, it was the whole, oh, what's gonna happen? What is it gonna, the day gonna look like? How will it compare to uh, Williams and Kate's a couple of years earlier? And even more so, will Meghan's dad come down the aisle? I mean, I've been involved in organizing a wedding myself and that was stressful, but thinking about organizing a royal one, that must be one logistical nightmare. Because not only do you have the seating arrangements, who's gonna sit where, who's doing the speeches, but you've also got to factor in the security. Me and Susie were living in Reading at the time. And so it was about half an hour down the road from Windsor where it was all kicking off because you had crowds and crowds of people there standing there wanting to see Meghan as, they, as she drove past in the Royal Rolls Royce as she heads towards the church in Westminster, uh, not Westminster, Windsor Castle. Um, and then the oohs and ahs when she gets out in her lovely dress and walks down the aisle. And then the world seemed to stand still when it all came to a bit of a climax as you had Bishop Michael Curry giving the wedding address. Felt like everyone was watching, everyone was silent. And we're kind of at a similar point now in our journey through One Chronicles. Uh, we've seen David uh, being appointed king, taking over Jerusalem, and then going to get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, as Dan reminded us a couple of weeks ago, this was a huge thing because in the Ark of the Covenant was all the holy relics of Israel, but also it was a place where God dwelt. And as David reminded us last week, uh, King David brought it into Israel, into Jerusalem, the heart of the country. And this was a huge moment for them as a nation, not because it marked a point that David was better than his predecessor Saul, but actually because David was proclaiming that he wanted God to be at the center of the kingdom of Israel. He wanted God to be at the center of his rule and reign. And uh, it all comes to this big point and David stands up and gives this address, which we'll be reading from today, uh, from 1 Chronicles 16, uh, verses seven through to 18. And so here, David has just brought the Ark of the Covenant into the tent. He's appointed some Levites and priests to minister to it. And he says this, then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. 
which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So this is a very much a song of, of thanksgiving that David sings, uh, and it very much captures the heart of why David was so keen to have God back in the center of Israel. He, and it's very much, you get the sense he's watching God, he's stepping back and putting everything in perspective. And from it all, we can learn several things from this passage, but we can look at this passage and think, this is a bit foreign to us. There's not much we can learn because this is in a golden age. We're not in a golden age anymore. We're at a point where people aren't watching uh, a wedding address. They're standing still watching and trying to judge what's happening with the coronavirus and what the government says. I mean, it's a tough time out there. It's one of the worst job markets in a generation. People who've lost their jobs, feeling the whole insecurity of what to do and how to find a new one in such a tough market. I should know. I'm one of them. And you've got plans that have kind of been thrown out of the window, struggling to work out what to do with life, let alone what's going to happen at Christmas. But the thing is, David reminds his people two key things, which actually are just as important for us today as it was back then. And the first is around the subject of identity. Look with me at verses 12 to 13. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. So this passage, this part, calls back the Israel's attention all the way back to the Exodus. For those who uh, don't know it, this is the story which, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, it will now seem very familiar. But it's when the uh, Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, but God rescued them. He uh, parted the Red Sea so he could draw them out of the captivity and into a promised land. And he so, of course, David's bringing this back to their attention. And he's also reminding them of their forefathers, of uh, Israel, who it was actually called Jacob, but Jacob had his name changed by God. Great story. But the thing is, I'm going to be honest, I can't relate to this. I can't relate to what it means for a country to have such a national identity. I'm English. We don't have this sort of origin story as the Israelites do. We don't have forefathers in the same way as the Israelites have with Jacob. But if I was an American, I'd be able to completely get this. Uh, for some of you, you might be aware that next month marks the 400th uh, Thanksgiving in America, the day where uh, they give thanks for the pilgrims sort of being able to travel safely across the Atlantic from Plymouth to uh, America. And then in July next year, it's, I think it's something like the 275th, don't quote me on that, Independence Day, a day that marks out uh, the Declaration of Independence from the Brits. It was the, that day is the birth of a nation. It's the birth of the, the American Constitution. Um, and you've got all the founding fathers associated to that, which I believe are carved into uh, Mount Rushmore to commemorate it. To be an American, your identity is tied into the events of the Thanksgiving and of Independence Day. It's the exact same thing that David's saying here. The Israelite identity is tied up into the events of the Exodus, the events of God saving them. And it's tied up into the fact that their forefather, Jacob, was chosen by God. And it's all a reminder out of grace, how actually it's out of nothing that they could have done. 
their identity wasn't built on anything that they had done. It was all God. It was all God who parted, who saved them from, uh, from slavery and the Egyptians. It was God who parted the Red Sea, and it was God who gave them the promised land. And it's a reminder of their identity is tied up into grace. Identity today, I think, is still a big issue. I think one of the questions on everyone's lips is, who am I? I mean, we try and find and define ourselves by what we do, how we kind of perceive our usefulness to the world. That's really how we define our identity. And if you lose that sense of usefulness, then you stand back and think, ah, what am I? Who am I? And it becomes so personal. I, I'm going to mention the B word. I'm going to mention Brexit here, not because of any political standing, but I found it really interesting how with the whole Brexit debate, it wasn't a sense of, oh, I vote to leave or I vote to remain. It was more, I'm a leaver or I'm a remainer. It turns a political opinion into someone's identity. So to the sense that if you agree, disagreed with the political opinion, you're having an attack on a, someone's identity. Well, the thing is, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call, say that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, your identity is tied up into that event. Your identity is tied up on not to anything that you've done, but out of the grace of God, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, to bring you into a united relationship with the Father, that you are no longer enemies of God, but the sons and daughters of the living God. Your identity is like that of the Israelites. It's tied up into a grace moment in history. And it's something that can never be taken away. They can take your job away, you can take your family, your political opinions might be persecuted, but at the end of the day, the one thing that can never be taken away from you, if you call yourself a Christian, is your identity in Christ. So that is point number one, that David reminds them of uh, their own identity. The second thing he reminds the Israelites of is who God is. Uh, um, let me read from verses 14 to 18. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. David points out the fact that God rules. Their God rules over everything. He is the Lord our God and his judgments are in all the earth. David, he's, he realizes that actually his influence, his judgments only affect Israel, a small nation. But the God that they serve, the God that they are, that they call their God, rules over everything, over the whole earth. And he puts himself into perspective. Not only does he remind the Israelites about how enormous and how mighty God is, he also reminds them of how personal they are to God and how much they mean to him. There's a word that keeps on cropping up in this passage, uh, covenant. It's a bit of a jargony word. It's a word that, to be honest, not many people use in everyday life, unless you're a lawyer. But a covenant from a biblical perspective is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that sets out the conditions of their relationship. It's kind of like a marriage. So when I married Susie six years ago, I publicly got up and declared that I wanted to change my legal identity. I no, one, no longer wanted to be seen as a single person. I wanted to be seen and create a new family with Susie that would be crafted together as one. 
and that that covenant we made would be in, in sickness and in health till death do us part. And it, God's covenant was something that God had made to one of the, the Israelites' forefathers, Abraham. You can read it all in uh, Genesis 17. But that covenant that he made was a promise that God would be Abraham's God and that Abraham's family and his descendants would be God's people. And as we kind of see throughout, as David sort of stepped back and watches God in all contexts, he sees that actually God's been doing that and he's kept it for a thousand generations. It's flowed from Abraham to his son Isaac, which then flowed again to Isaac's sons Jacob, and then across to the whole nation of Israel. And he's called, kind of recalling God's faithfulness in all of this, that God has been faithful to them today in the same way that he's been faithful to them in the past. There's a moment after the Exodus where um, they have just seen God part the Red Sea, guided them through the wilderness, uh, and they're at a mountain base. Moses has gone up the mountaintop, and the Israelites decide, let's worship a golden calf instead. And it's been a complete slap in God's face. It's kind of like they're not that faithful to him. But yet God's been completely faithful to them. He's brought them out. He's kept them to them. And actually, even with when they decide to worship a golden calf instead of God, he's still faithful to them. He still kept his promise about bringing them to Canaan, uh, to the promised land and built them into this Israel. God has been faithful, even despite Israelites' relationship with God. But how about you? How are you kind of viewing your relationship with God at this moment? I think it's easy for us to fall into a trap right now that, oh, life is great. Therefore, I must be having a good relationship with God. And vice versa. Oh, life is rubbish. I need to improve my relationship with God. But that's a lie. Because if you think about it, Jesus, the one who is in the ultimate relationship with God, the one who is in a perfect unity with God, the Father. He sweated blood in Gethsemane just before he died on the cross for you. He, he went through such pain, such torment. He didn't live a, have an easy life, even though that he was in perfect harmony with God, the Father. Jesus never said, follow me and live your best life now. He said, follow me and pick up your cross. And I think we sometimes need to step back away from our situations and watch God and have perspective of his faithfulness throughout the entirety of history and see that although we're going through a rough time, tough and struggling, God's still kept his side up for the relationship. He's been with you. And because of that, we can hold on to and watch and hold on to his promises in two hands. Don mentioned some of the promises earlier that the fact that God is with us Jesus uh, said to his disciples as he ascended up to heaven that he would never leave us or forsake us we may not feel like that at the moment we may feel completely alone where we are but Jesus God the son has kept his promise for a, a thousand generations and that promise that he won't leave us or forsake us that's true for us today as it was back then Promises that he will, God will strengthen us in our time of need. We can hold on to that. Promises that one day it, all pain will cease. The coronavirus will be gone and we will be in eternity with Jesus. Pain will be wiped away. Tears gone. And we'll spend eternity with him. This moment 
is a flicker in contrast to the eternity that we have with Jesus. Let me close with this. We sometimes sing a song, uh, Cornerstone. It's based off a old hymn on Christ a Solid Rock. One of the verses that says um, in that song is this. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. God's oath, God's covenant, the relationship status that he gathered with Abraham was made firm and solid and secure by the blood of Jesus. And it is in that, that if you see yourself as a Christian, you can hold firm onto the fact that you are God's people and he is your God. And that will never go away. His covenant stands true, as David said, for a thousand generations. When we are weak, we need to have this comfort and solid that actually God is strong. God is still doing stuff. We may not see it, but he is with us. And I think for some of us today, watching this, it's a call to, for us to readjust our gaze away from watching what's going on in life and the struggles we're facing, but actually looking up and watching and seeing what God has done and is doing. We need to remember that actually God has always been faithful. There has never been a day in the history of the earth which God hasn't caused his sun to rise and the sun to set in every day. He's been faithful with that for, for as long as the earth has been in existence. He will continue to be his faithful God. And so just as a reminder, if you call yourself a Christian today, remember that you are in a relationship with the one who has never broken a promise, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he's been faithful for, to his people for a thousand generations. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are tied up into that as well. He is faithful to you. And the truth is, in a sense what Dom said earlier, the one you cling on to in your trials has a firm grip on you. And as a Christian, that is your identity. And that is the identity of the God we worship. But if you're watching this and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't say that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. You wouldn't say that Jesus, you believe that Jesus died for your sins. Then everything I've kind of said, it's not true for you, but it can be. It can be. You can come and know the one who we build our lives on, who is a solid rock, who is the faithful one that we were singing about earlier. So can I encourage you that if you want to know more, please speak to the person who uh, sent you this link, uh, showed you this video, or send us an email at the church offices. We would love to talk to you. We would love to introduce you to Jesus and tell you what he's done and what he can do for you. But whether we're in the golden age of life or in the middle of what is, seems to be the darkest night of us, your soul, remember to stand back, watch God and look and embrace your identity in Christ, in Jesus. He has been faithful for a thousand generations. And you know what? He will continue to be faithful for a thousand generations more. But let's pray. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you are a God who is faithful to us. You've been faithful to us for a thousand generations. You are, our identity is found in you because not of anything that we've done. We don't deserve our identity of being a son and daughter of the living God. It's all down to you. 
And I thank you for that identity. I thank you that that identity never changes, that will never fail. And I thank you that we can hold on to the fact that you are faithful, even though times are tough, even though we don't feel like it, you are faithful. You've been faithful to us today, as you were yesterday, and as you will be tomorrow, Lord. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.